You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Logan Aldridge is a leader with the Adaptive Training Academy. As the director of training for ATA, Logan teaches adaptive CrossFit to both disabled and able-bodied athletes all over the world. In addition to coaching, he also competes in CrossFit competitions. Logan has wowed people all around the world with his incredible feats of strength. Logan, thank you for joining me. I'd love to start by asking you how you got involved in adaptive sports. I am born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. So growing up, I spent most of my time outdoors. Uh, I was always known as one of those kind of uh, young kids that you could not keep in a chair for too long. Uh, <laughs> I was very active, very much into extreme sports at a young age. So I played the traditional sports like soccer, football, baseball, uh, and I enjoyed them. But uh, I, I was fascinated with these sort of uh, what we call, I guess, or deem extreme sports like skateboarding, mm -hmm. surfing, snowboarding, uh, and wakeboarding. Um, these things were just in my nature. I have an, old, I have an older brother who uh, I always have looked up to and, uh, you know, definitely imposed some tough love on me at, at a, as a young <laughs> kid. So uh, made me a little bit tougher um, as a young kid, but also made me want to be like the older kids. And uh, it always seemed like, you know, I was the youngest kid in the crowd because I was always trying to hang out with older kids and challenge myself, do what they were doing. Um, and that was typically skateboarding and, and going about things like that, um, that might not be such organized sports, but that were these fun outdoor uh, activities. And you know, I lived not in a traditional neighborhood. I, I lived um, kind of in, in the woods. Uh, we had a, a horse farm at our house. So I was very fortunate to grow up on a ton of land and, uh, mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, walk out the door in the morning and explore the woods, explore nature, uh, and just, just be outside and active. Uh, it was always so important to me. And I, you know, this is just me looking back at my life, but I didn't know at the time, obviously, but um, that was very important to me as a young kid to, to be active and outdoors. Uh, I had plenty of friends that weren't that way. I had plenty of friends that, you know, would prefer to, you know, play some video games or watch TV shows. And um, it was just never my forte. I couldn't ever stay still for too long. Um, so I just was uh, constantly seeking challenges. Um, I was a professional paintball player by the time I was 12 years old. So I was traveling on the weekends. Again, I think maybe a, a reiteration of the, uh, the motto that I was typically just hanging out with older individuals at a young age, kind of the, the environment my brother put me into. Um, and because of that, yeah, at a very young age, I was being introduced to new sports and um, you know, about seven or eight years old, we bought a lake house up on um, Lake Gaston. If any listener or, or reader is familiar with the East Coast Lake, it's on the it's on the border of North Carolina and Virginia. Mm -hmm. And um, we got a lake house up there when I was about eight or nine years old. And it was at that time that I saw for the first time what wakeboarding was. 
Uh, and when I saw that someone on a board behind a boat could jump into the air, fly through the air and <laughs> land on the other side of the wake, uh, my jaw just dropped. I was, I was fascinated. So I, I took it upon myself to do everything in my power to be at that lake as often as I could uh, in order to learn how to wakeboard. I was very fortunate that my parents got a wakeboard boat for us as our family boat. Um, so I had access to a wakeboard boat all the time. And I would just, you know, drag my dad out there early in the mornings and late at night to give me these you know, glassy water sets before anyone has gotten onto the water or after everyone's left for the day. And, and I would train, I would train. Now it was fun, but I was also very intentional and, and disciplined in the fact that I was training. Um, once I saw wakeboarding and knew that there was professional wakeboarders out there, that's what I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to do. Um, so at that young age of eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, between playing paintball throughout the school year and spending my summers surfing and wakeboarding, uh, I was just obsessed. Could not get enough of the wakeboarding specifically. I wanted to master, you know, a certain set of tricks and I would go to summer camps and spend time with coaches and, and other professional wakeboarders. I'd always go to Florida every spring break and spend time with pros down there. That's kind of like the wakeboard capital of the world if you want to go pro professional. Um, so I was immersed. I was immersed in this thought that uh, I want to be a professional at my trade or at my uh, sport or my, my craft. Um, and that one at the time uh, was wakeboarding. So that was my routine. And at the age of 13 is when my accident happened. So you, you alluded to this already, but obviously it was at Lake Gaston where you, you had a, a tragic accident. Maybe for those that, that aren't familiar with it, you know, walk us through kind of, you know, what happened. I mean, you were doing something that you, you know, that you love, obviously, and, and what happened? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was, again, I was 13. And um, as I've expressed, it was just another day. It was another day of training, not just riding for fun, but training um, with a friend of mine who was always teaching me how to do tricks. He's much better than me and much older. Um, and my parents on the boat. So we just finished. Uh, it was Saturday evening, June 26, 2004. Mm -hmm. And we had just finished riding for the day and we're dropping my friend off at his dock. And as we pulled up to his dock, we let him, you know, swim in and we threw him his, his stuff from the boat and pushed away from the dock. And that's when it was my responsibility to tidy up the boat. Um, and that's when I started looping the rope, the wakeboard rope over my thumb and under my elbow. Now to, to paint this picture appropriately, uh, a wakeboard rope is uh, a ski rope, but it has zero elasticity uh, for wakeboarding. You know, you're constantly carving out there behind and you're mm -hmm. jumping the wakes to get air you don't want any elasticity in that rope. So that rope almost acts and looks a lot like a cable. Uh, it's very thin, mm. uh, has no elasticity. And typically, oftentimes, it's actually coated uh, in plastic or some form of soft plastic material, uh, as this one was. So this one really resembled almost uh, the appearance and feel of a cable. Now, with the loops that I had kind of looped over my thumb, under my elbow, making that perfect circle as you wind up an extension cord or something like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. um, with my arm being in that 
manner, holding the rope, the end of the rope being connected to the wakeboard tower, you know, the anchor point on the boat, and then the excess rope just floating out behind the boat. What I quickly realized after having those two loops around my arm, I looked back, my eyes trailed the rope and noticed that it had drifted a little bit underneath the back platform of the boat. And when that happens, you know, sometimes it's caught on the wedge or propeller, or, or usually not the propeller. Usually the propellers are so far up underneath the boat, it's just caught on some little, little piece near the back platform. So I didn't think anything of it. I just said to my dad, hey, dad, the rope's underneath the boat. And right when I said that, you know, no longer than a second later, the propeller did catch the rope. It caught the rope and caused it to coil rapidly around the prop just because we were, we were just cruising just in gear, but that's plenty of fast enough for that propeller to be spinning at so many revolutions that if a rope, rope caught it, it would coil it up rapidly. And it did so. And because it was very much like a cable, this rope, it didn't just cut it. It just, it coiled around the prop causing it to slip off of my thumb and cinch down around my arm above oh my, my elbow. Yeah. So it was kind of a freak accident. It didn't rip my arm off, not to get too graphic or gory, but it just severed everything down to the bone. So in that instant, it looked like a rope was almost literally going inside my arm and coming out the other side of my arm. It was a bit of a a unique feeling and and look as I stood there on the back of the boat still. Uh, At this moment, you know, my father steps over, my mom yells, you know, his arm, oh my gosh. And so he immediately begins to unwind the rope. And when he does that, that's when the the blood just explodes. I mean, it just, the artery from my heart into the left arm was immediately severed. So when he unwound that rope, that blood just covered a 21 foot white boat, just became red. Uh, And he, you know, thank goodness, he quickly ripped off his shirt, wrapped his shirt around and created a very tight tourniquet. And had he not, I I definitely would have bled out in a couple minutes. So um, from there, we got to the dock. We tried to figure out what we should do next. I remember feeling the sense of this can't be happening. Uh, I remember asking my dad to carry me up the dock and show me myself in my bedroom and I would wake up. So, Mm. you know, he was, he was reluctant and hesitant, but um, he did it because I think he realized that I needed some clarity on the reality of the situation. So he carried me up to the room, I uh, looked at the bed and that's when I realized I wasn't in it. And the reality did set in. Um, and I started to recognize the potential outcomes here. Uh, one of which being losing my arm. Um, so at this point we're waiting for an ambulance to come and we're in Lake Gaston, Virginia, middle of nowhere, kind of where our lake house is. Now, granted, we could have hopped in the car and driven and been at UNC Children's Hospital in two hours. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. For some reason in the moment, I wanted to wait. I wanted to sit and wait for an ambulance. And we did. And by the time the ambulance got there, it was already an hour later. And so this ambulance picks me up. My mom gets in with me. And we're riding to the local um, hospital in Virginia. On our way, you know, they're hooking me up with IV and, and I'm starting to think about the reality of this and what might happen. And I remember, you know, not being able to feel my left arm at all. 
Like it was there, but I couldn't feel any, anything of it. And not that I couldn't feel it, but like, I felt like it was somewhere else compared to where it was laying. So I thought that is strange. Like it feels like it's laying out to my left side and it's on my lap right now. This is weird. And it was in this moment where I just asked my mom, I said, you know, mom, what if I lose my arm? Because I was left-handed and this is my left arm that I can't feel. And she looks at me without skipping a beat and just says, you know, Logan, it's just an arm. And those words are simplistic uh, when stated, but also profound with the simplicity of its impact in my mm-hmm. mind in that moment. Because by saying that, you know, her as a, as a strong parent and mother, I think she was just trying to find the gratitude in the situation for herself as a parent, but also by saying it, it immediately made me recognize in and have uh, gratitude as well in my own situation. And I recognized the abundance in my life, literally the fact that I have another arm, you know, it's just an arm to me. What that meant was, Oh, well, there is another one I have. And Oh, well, you know, if I get to stay alive, that's a pretty great option. Mm-hmm just lose an arm over a life. And then it just instantly created a, a mental shift for me. Not one in the moment, but one that was everlasting, one that is still lasting to this day. So I give my mom credit for those words. And that's why if you, know, if you ever see me making a statement or if I ever put a hashtag on an Instagram post, it's often my hashtag is it's just an arm. And it's my way of not only telling the world, showing the world that, yeah, I do all these things with one arm. It's no big, it's just an arm. I'm just, I'm still me. I'm still a human being and a person. But more importantly, especially in the time of recovery and going through the, the acceptance of this new me, uh, it's just an arm was a statement that was critical to my attitude and my outlook and uh, the way in which I would handle this obstacle. Um, so that absolutely defines me and, and the type of person that I allowed this to make me, um, the motto, it's just an arm is something that resonates deeply with me. And it's a message that I share with, I've had, I've been so lucky to share that message with thousands of individuals all over the world for the past 15 years as a professional speaker. Um, I speak on about keynotes regarding expectations and, the power of human potential and the power of choice. And I often, I often connect the parallels to what it's just an arm meant to me and how we all in life have moments where we need to figure out a phrase, a statement, a way to trigger uh, a different way of thinking. And that's what it's just an arm does. That's what Nike's just do it does. That's, that's what these, these phrases do. They cause the brain to shift from one part of our brain, our processing portion, to the portion that creates action, that creates uh, change. And so by saying it's just an arm, my brain just goes, oh, all right, well, let's, let's, let's move on. It's just an arm. Recognize the abundance and gratitude and move on. So uh, I digress a little, but, you know, that was a really important part um, and who I am today, and you know, that was, that was gosh, 16 years ago. 
Yeah. So from there, you know, I got to UNC Children's Hospital. Um, well, we went to the local community hospital. They realized they could not do anything for me. Uh, and they put me back in the ambulance. We drove out to a cornfield. UNC Children's Hospital had a helicopter in the air. They landed and rolled me into there. It was the coolest experience ever. <laughs> Honestly, I was like laughing when it was happening. I thought it was so cool, uh, even in the midst of the chaos. Uh, my parents drove to UNC Children's, and I got a you know awesome helicopter ride. And there we are, you know, in the operating room. And they they don't immediately amputate. They try to regain blood flow into my left arm. We were about six, seven, eight hours somewhere around there uh, after the initial accident. By the time we got into surgery, and they took an artery out of my leg to uh, to read gain some blood flow or to see if they could. So when they did that, the hand swelled up quite a bit, got very big. Um, and we monitored for a couple of days and we just missed that window. It looks like, uh, well, it doesn't look like it, it was the fact that it takes, uh, you know, anywhere from that six to eight hour window, um, is where you start to ride the line of muscles, not accepting blood flow muscles mm. will start to die. Uh, and I think we just missed that mark. So the muscles were starting to die. The doctors were a little, a little bit worried that now gangrene might begin to be an option. So they needed to make a decision. Uh, and, you know, rehabilitation was an option. We could have continued to monitor, continue to try. But my parents noticed that, you know, I'd been in this hospital for a week and a half at this point already. And they weren't wanting me to have continued false hope of what my future might look like. So they told the doctor, you know, let's amputate the arm. Um, it was my first example of seeing the impact and power of expectations. You know, I never, never in my life leading up to that moment did I realize what expectations do to individuals. And it was in that moment and then further on, you know, throughout my life over the next year, watching friends, family members, peers, all these people place expectations on me, on what I would be capable of and would not be capable of. And rightfully so. It's not to blame them. But, you know, here's my conclusion. After, you know, telling you the writing example and other countless examples that there are that were on me and of what I've witnessed on others and what I've done in my life, putting expectations on others and on mm -hmm. things. But mm -hmm. I believe an expectation is a prejudgment that we place on ourselves and one another that typically limit potential. Reason being, if, you know, there's the, the, the writing is a great example. If I just would say, oh man, all right, you, you are a doctor, you are medical professionals, you all know everything about this stuff. You're telling me writing is going to be really, really hard, might take, might never be as good as I was with my left hand. Okay, great. If I would just accept that for it being the reality and the truth, then I just would. And next time somebody said, hey, would you write your name? I would just say, hey, yeah, no, I don't write. Doctors say I don't write. And that just would have been my adopted reality. And that's mm -hmm. fine. But like, that's not fine in the sense that you didn't dictate any part of your ability or life or outcome. You let someone else dictate it. And as Michael Jordan quote says it best, if we accept the expectations of others, especially the negative ones will never change the outcome. It's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. It's almost kind of corny because you know, it's Michael Jordan. It was like greatest of all time, but it's pretty applicable as well. But you'd say that from North Carolina. 
<laughs> Gotta throw that in there. That's right. That's right. And, and, but, you know, this is, this is a very serious point um, uh, that I get very passionate about this topic because we see this and in our heads, anyone listening or reading and however they're hearing or seeing this, like you can, you can immediately think of examples. You can immediately think of when have expectations been placed that would limit the potential outcome of something. Uh, and it happens all the time. It even happens. It, it, it is the basis of psychology 101 in how we have to socialize because it happens in school. Like, okay, I got an A. Great. I got an A. My parents are happy. What does that mean? You're just, you're, you're just good. Just, you got to get an A and that, you know, could you have gotten, or, 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 you know, maybe your parents say, if you just get a B and you go get a B and you're like, all right, I'm golden. Well, you could have done better. You could have gotten an A. The student with an A could have gotten an A plus. And please don't take this information, what I'm saying right now, please don't take that percent for associating it with perfectionists. Uh, I am not that. Or overachievers. I am not that. It's not about being a perfectionist or an overachiever. Frankly, I'm the opposite of that. I'm all about least viable product. <laughs> Get something out there, show the world, and continue to move forward and develop and innovate and grow. But um, no, I just I don't say that to say you need to be an overachiever or perfectionist. If you got an A, you should be getting an A plus. But you should be challenging the status quo always. Why should we accept? Hey, if you get this, everyone will approve of you. Things will be great. You'll go to a great school. You'll do the right, the the world will be set up for you. That is not the way life works anymore. I mean, it never really has been, but that's definitely the message that was fed 20, 30 years ago, clearly, but like, that's not the way anymore. Uh, And maybe it is for some, but it shouldn't be the general adopted message. And I think we need to challenge our own expectations, especially expectations that are being placed on us by others. Uh, and that's a lot of the foundation uh, of what I speak about in yeah. many of my keynotes, um, just really taking a step back and looking at what are expectations doing in your life? Are they aiding or are they limiting? And I think that kind of fits nicely into less, you know, the fast forwarding a little bit to your work with the Adaptive Training Academy. How did, how did that all begin? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, uh, again, I could tell you an hour long story, but I'll try to be uh, a little bit better about it here. <laughs> <laughs> the Adaptive Training Academy stuff, uh, it, it's so its so incredible. Uh, I have to pinch myself most days to think that, that, you know, this is what I get to do and how lucky am I to have founded this thing and, and had this opportunity uh, to service the population I get to service. But, you know, I, I went off to college and I went to UNC Wilmington and played lacrosse there. I was on the collegiate wakeboard team and did some of that fun stuff. But I didn't realize until I graduated how much I missed the camaraderie of, of fitness, of sport, you know, of getting together with your teammates or just your friends and going to the gym and lifting weights or going and playing a pickup game and on, in the field, just the connection that would occur. And frankly, the competitiveness that I had, I've always just been a loving, caring guy, but, uh, and I didn't, I almost like thought this was like a bad trait, but, um, I didn't know at the time that I was competitive, like very competitive. And once I graduated, uh, I was very lucky to graduate, come back to Raleigh and work for an awesome it company and a, and a great job, but quickly realized six months into that, that, Oh my gosh, this is scary. I can see exactly how this becomes 
the next 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, you come in, you sit at this cubicle, you make friends with your people around this cubicle in this department of this big company. And then you go to the gym and you do this, you put your headphones on, you don't talk to anyone, you do this and you go home. You do that over and over. Next thing you know, 10 years have gone by. And that is the scariest thing in the world to me. So, uh, and I didn't know that. I had no idea. I, I was pursuing exactly what I was told for, to pursue. I'd gotten an incredible, this was an incredible IT company. It was like, it was like, it was like working at Google on the East Coast. You know, it was an incredible company. And, uh, and the company culture was just that, phenomenal. But um, it did not take long, six months in. And I knew, like, I can't do this. I can't be in this sort of environment for the rest of my life. Because uh, it'll just, it'll be a blink. It'll be a blank and it'll be over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I left that job. And in college, I had studied business. I was in business school, but uh, I was pretty proactive about creating my own um, independent study on top of my major uh, supply chain management. And I studied um, additive manufacturing, better known as 3D printing. And, and specifically, it's business impact within the orthotic and prosthetic industry. So I studied the technology, understood that, and then also applied, understood its supply chain, uh, problem-solving opportunities within orthotics and prosthetics. So after leaving this IT job I had and realizing I want to do something you know, for me, I, I, I knew that my life's mission, my purpose on this earth is to be a catalyst in allowing human beings, specifically those with disabilities or any form of impairment, to recognize how, how capable they really are. My, I feel my purpose on this earth is to show people how great their potential really is. Uh, and I don't believe I'm some guru. I don't think I'm anyone special. I just believe that I am stubborn enough, <laughs> I'm dumb enough to challenge, to challenge expectations and to challenge the status quo. And I will say, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I do think I am creative and innovative enough uh, to find a solution, to always, to always find a solution. And if I can't, I use the collaborative network approach or the open source approach, if you will, whichever one, you know, Mm -hmm. this idea of if you have a thought, an idea, um, an invention, share it with everyone, share it openly with everyone in the world, and it will only get better. No one will steal it and take it. People will just constantly improve it and then reshare it and improve it and reshare it. And that's my approach and philosophy on, gosh, not only everything from mindset and personal development, but absolutely when it comes to adaptive training and the fitness that we do and develop. So, um, I'm digressing, but let me get back to your question. You know, I graduated college, I go on and work at this company, then I leave to start my own orthotic and prosthetic 3D printing consulting company. And so I work with some local North Carolina orthotic and prosthetic uh, practices, and I implement 3D printing technology. And throughout that experience, uh, you know, my my goal, my, my mission, my why is to help make people with disabilities realize their potential realize how much more capable they are than they've been told by either their medical professional or just their community or society. So I thought that, you know, you do this in orthotics and prosthetics. Makes sense. It's, they've just got a limb amputated. Now they get to walk in or roll into here. 
I'm the first guy they meet. I connect them with their practitioner and I'm like, yes, this will be great. You can do it. I'm basically the patient liaison and the technology assistant for 3D printing. And so I, I do that with a few patients, another few patients, another dozen patients, see a couple more. And I start to realize almost all of the patients I'm seeing are very, very, very unhealthy, like very sad. Like it's not at all like me. It's not at all trauma. There might be one out of 50 patients that is a similar trauma, you know, car accident, boating accident. Unfortunately, all the others, mostly always, they're all chronic disease, illness, mm -hmm. type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. This was fascinating to me. Fascinating. And, and, you know, granted, I'm totally naive. I was totally naive not to have done some more research or really understood the population that was being affected most by amputations. But this is what it was. Um, and so then I really do start to do the research. I start to dive in on the statistics and the studies and look at what's happened over time and where we are right now. And 3D printing technology makes the sockets better, more cost effective, a better fit for the patient. You can make them faster. All these great things, literally win, 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 win for everybody involved. Yet, yet the issue is within the mindset. The issue is within the individual not grasping the fact that they have to take control of their life. Like these are just tools. These are just inanimate objects, external things that are getting put to help build and fix a human. This is, you know, that classic, there's a pebble in your shoe, so we're going to put, you know, something so you don't feel your foot. That's not, it, you should take the pebble out of the shoe. And so for, for me, it was, this, it was this epiphany, this light bulb moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this patient comes in, has a partial foot amputation. Well, first they come in, they got sores on the bottom of their feet from mm -hmm. diabetes. So then they get diabetic shoes. And then they come in six months later, they have partial foot amputation. So we get them, you know, partial foot prosthetic. Then they come in six months later and they're below knee amputee. Okay. And then they come in, in the next year or two, and a few visits throughout, you know, below knee amputee, getting their prosthetic, make sure the fitting's all good. They're never wearing it. They're sitting in their chair when they're home. They come in a year or two later and the other leg, is now being amputated, partial foot. So when one, when a diabetic type two diabetes, when they have one leg amputated, there's a 90% chance that this other leg will be amputated within five years. So it's a, it's a startling statistic. And I was watching this play out time and time again in orthotics and prosthetics. So I made the realization that, wow, how silly was I to think that the solution, the problem solving happens in the orthotic and prosthetic facility. No, 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 no. Those are incredible places. You can have tremendous breakthroughs and psychological breakthroughs um, in those environments. You can instill more hope and, you know, a patient, a new amputee can feel more empowered by their prosthetic than anywhere else. But, but, the real change, the real global effective change happens from shifting the mindset, shifting the way individuals see the world and themselves. And that is done, in my opinion, through sport or fitness. So it's done through movement. It's done through activity. Uh, you can call that whatever you want, any of those interchangeable words. 
So I made this decision to leave the orthotic and prosthetic industry, to leave the 3D printing consulting business I'd started, and instead dive all in on training, personal training, physical fitness, functional fitness, CrossFit, whatever you want to call it, honestly, it doesn't matter. But I just became obsessed with fitness, with moving, strength and conditioning, all of it. I wanted to, I wanted to partake in all of it. And I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be challenged constantly. So I hopped around and went to a bunch of different gyms. I found one that seemed like a good fit because they practice what I've preached for 10 years about supporting others, about, you know, we all face a wall in life. We all have obstacles, things we have to overcome. Um, it was just this full circle of seeing and practice, something I've advocated for for years. So join the gym, start working out. I am the type of person, if, if, you, uh, if you don't know this, I become obsessed with things. When I like something, I become just wholeheartedly addicted and obsessed. And that happened with fitness for me. And I wanted to create solutions. I wanted to create ways to maintain the intended stimulus of workouts, even though I had one arm. So when jump rope came up in a workout, I had a solution. When things happened like pull-ups in a workout that I wanted to do, I had a solution. So I started to create things that mimicked the stimulus, but also kept me included in the group fitness environment, the group training environment. And then that just led to me being like, okay, well, I'm doing this CrossFit stuff. If I really want to understand why CrossFit workouts are the way they are, I should go get my CrossFit certification as a coach. Not because I wanted to be a coach but because I wanted to understand the methodology and the intention behind why you're doing this type of fitness. So I went and got that like after two months of being in, in the gym. And after getting that, I realized, okay, now that I have a better understanding of what they're trying to get people to do, I can take that information, understand that, and manipulate it so that I can make the same or similar effects happen for people with varying disabilities. So from there, you start to recognize, or you start to look at the methodology, the, the principles, and the approach of this sort of uh, take on fitness. And then I start to pull out key nuggets that and, and ingredients of this uh, process that I see are applicable and and kind of relative to people with disabilities. You know, the biggest part of all that being functional movements. Like if we want to gain independence in the real world, if we want to increase our ability to accomplish tasks in the house, mm-hmm. in therapy, this is referred to as, you know, uh, ADLs or IADLs, activities of daily living. And these things are, you know, just being able to put on clothes, make your food, uh, you know, tidy up the home. Um, and IADLs are more of like, you know, paying bills, doing a budget and writing checks and all that sort of stuff, but important things, important things for independence. Well, being able to sit up and get up and down off of the toilet is what determines if you go, go into assisted living or not. So how, to me, how important is it, regardless if you have disability or not, is it to be functional with your fitness, functional with how you can move your body? Um, The number one thing I think we should all be able to do is get down onto the ground. In other words, lay down on the ground and be able to get back up. And in CrossFit or in the world of functional fitness, that's called a burpee. 
And most people know what burpees are and they're hard and they suck. And especially when you do them really fast, but, but they're extremely functional. They're extremely beneficial for your long-term health. That is clear and apparent for all humans. Now, additionally, and more importantly, it is even more critical for the development, the creation development and implementation of functional movements for people with disabilities. If we want to progress their life to a more independent functional one, rather than regress as they age through a quote unquote disability, um, we can absolutely do it. And we have done it. I've done this with there's thousands of examples through adaptive training Academy that we've done this with, but um, that's exactly the approach. The point is, to create long-term health through increasing quality of life and independence. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the foundation of it all. People often see the adaptive training Academy and realize or think that we are this extreme version of adaptive fitness. Uh, and we're not, you know, we do what we do. Uh, we take what we do very seriously and we're constantly pursuing excellence in the product and service that we deliver. But we are not here to say every individual with a physical impairment should be doing functional fitness. We're just saying that's the way we do it. That's the model we have seen most effective. That's the methodology we've seen most effective. And I'm not saying CrossFit. Like, we're not a CrossFit course. We are our own organization. Yes, we support CrossFit affiliates and a lot of those athletes, a lot of adaptive athletes come from CrossFit. It's a very inclusive setting, even though, you know, all the recent light on the former CEO being so negative. Uh, I don't want to get caught up in all that stuff, but like we're much bigger than CrossFit because we're just affecting anybody's life who wants to be healthy. Uh, if you want to do triathlons, if you want to play tennis every day, that's great. We're going to teach you the tools that you need to do fitness to help you be more functional in your life and then in that sport or wherever, wherever it is you are. So uh, that's, that's, the, that's the core of what I am passionate about and what the Academy, Adaptive Training Academy does. But how we do that is through certifications. So we've developed curriculum and we've been teaching this curriculum for four years all over the world. Uh, and we've developed uh, a course, a certificate and certification process where you can, as a fitness trainer, a medical professional, or a therapist, or a coach, maybe you're the coach of a youth basketball team or a football team, and there's uh, a kid with a disability that wants to play on the team. Well, there's some things you can learn from our course to understand how to create an inclusive environment uh, and understand some general adaptive training principles to give them good workouts or good involvement in the sport. So our, our education is adaptive and inclusive fitness education because it is so important to not only understand how to, regardless of anybody's ability, uh, impairment or limitations, to know how to give them a great workout, but it is just as important that they feel included in the group, whether it's amongst peers at school or teammates on a swimming team or football team or uh, a, a diverse group of individuals in an orange theory or F45 or CrossFit class. It doesn't matter. 
uh, all of these environments are places where it's critical to have the form of education that we provide in order to make you uh, the most thoughtful and prepared uh, coach, trainer, or professional. And I know you've done some of that training um, through through our network, and and I know that one of the other things you've done, Logan, is some strength and conditioning um, courses with with Move United. Yeah. Um, and uh, particularly, you know, during uh, this uh, pandemic uh, with our Adapt at Home initiative, I, I want to whittle down a little bit to, you know, strength and conditioning and um, with the time that we have left and maybe maybe focus on, um, you know, like like lifting, specifically like lifting weights like, or weightlifting. Um, what, you know, if you're, if you're interacting with either uh, an athlete or – uh, a person who wants to get into, you know, that type of activity or even a coach who, you know, as you mentioned, who, you know, wants to try to train or provide such workouts. How do you begin? Yeah. Um, great question. And, um, you know, it can seem, it can definitely seem um, overwhelming and like there aren't answers on how to begin because it's a little bit less, clear than let's say basketball like how do you begin basketball well let's get you a basketball and start dribbling you know spend some time every day dribbling outside and okay if you're wheelchair basketball all right practice wheelchair skills uh, practice shooting you know either standing or seated practice shoot you know you can start to develop this thing uh, I love the question and I hope I hope listeners or readers are interested in how to get started with, you know, strength and conditioning, especially if they have some sort of impairment um, or they're looking to, you know, incorporate adaptive training uh, mm -hmm. techniques. And my answer is kind of a cop-out because my answer is just move, like just, just get started, just do something. And I know strength and conditioning sounds specific. It sounds like, okay, well, it's strength. Okay. Well then I need dumbbells. What do I do with the dumbbells? I need uh, oh, conditioning. Oh, I need to go to a track and do sprints and stuff, right? No, like it can, you know, look at us. We're in this pandemic. We're all stuck at home. Um, strength and conditioning can be done every day in your bedroom. It can be done with body weight movements. Um, I would challenge and, you know, depending on the individual, if you're a seated athlete, you know, I would challenge you to become more fluent in transfers okay, and maybe you're a seated athlete, you're listening to me and you're like, oh, I, I crush transfers. I'm so good at those. I want to know strength <laughs> and conditioning. Okay, I would challenge you to challenge your midline stability. And now, again, a seated athlete, I don't know, it could be bilateral amputation, they could be spinal cord injury, they could be T6, C something, you know, they could be, the paralysis or the impairment could, could range. No two individuals are the same. So it's hard for me to say, okay, just do this because everybody is different in their journey and where they're starting. Mm -hmm. um, all, that, all that matters, all that matters is that you do something every day. Like it doesn't have to be a lot. And, and I don't say you have to work out every day. There's a ton of benefit and intention to rest days, to days where you don't do anything. But uh, for people to get started, I would say just Oh my gosh, you can go on YouTube and just type in 10 minute body weight workout. Uh, if you have a disability, you can go to adaptive training 
on Instagram at Adaptive Training. You'll see a ton of resources on how to work out, how to do different movements. Or, frankly, and I swear this isn't me trying to sell my course, but you can take our course. If you just take our online course, you learn how to get in, how to get started with fitness. Not only how to train anyone, but let's say you are the adaptive individual yourself and you took our course. Well, now you've learned more about your impairment. Now you've learned more about how to train your impairment, but you've also learned about all the other impairment groups and how to train them. Because maybe you have multiple impairments, or maybe you have uh, CP and you're affected full body. Arms can't go all the way overhead and your ability to ambulate is difficult. Um, well, through our course, you can understand how to look at any workout. This is the real, the real uh, nugget, golden nugget of our education and of what I would ask anyone to think about when they get started in adaptive strength and conditioning. <clears throat> the world is not meant for us, for somebody with an impairment. Um, the world is ableist. It's ableism, which is fine, but that means, you know, it's from a perspective of, being able with both arms, both legs, a functional, fully functional body. Um, anything else is typically less than subconscious or consciously it's less than, but we live in a world that is just a little bit more difficult to get around. in if you have a disability or impairment, what we teach in our education is not only all the appropriate language, terminology, methodology, risk mitigation, and all these sorts of things. But then we teach you how to, take a workout from this ableist, able-bodied perspective meant for people with both arms, both legs, push-ups, squats, you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we teach you how to adapt it. Not only how, but why you select what you select for whatever individual's impairment group or category that you're adapting it to. So that's the real, that is the real golden nugget of our education is we're equipping you with the knowledge to move forward with anybody in any population with any form of physical or cognitive or physiological uh, disability or impairment. Um, and I think that that's the secret to, to this overwhelmingness of feeling like there's a wall in front of you. Like you've got to do something. I mean, I mean, this is just, this is just, it almost, it almost feels corny to say it, but it's just, um, you know, mindset 101 stuff. It's like the best day to start is today. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's that's, it's the, there is no barrier to entry um, to pursuing your health. There is no barrier of entry to fitness. It's just you. It's just you deciding today I start and tomorrow I continue and I continue every day after that. And if you just can find a way to reiterate or maintain, uh, I have to check this box today. This has to get done. Momentum starts to happen. When momentum happens, then there's this feeling of, oh, well, if I don't do it, I won't feel right. And then you want to do it. And then that's, that's when you can start to really find a groove. And then once you've done it for, you know, 60, 90 days, it's a habit. Now it's a part of who you are. Now it's something that you just do. And, um, and you just, you just start working out, <laughs> you just start working out. It's super simple. Uh, or at least it can be right. It can definitely get complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, the idea that we will bear load is strength and conditioning is the idea that we will, 
we will add resistance. Like we will put something physically heavy against us, on us, uh, to us, whatever. And through lifting this load, um, bearing this load, we will develop our bodies. Our bodies will literally change. We will become more than who we are. That's the goal. Now, there's, that's, like, that's really esoteric in the sense of like you become this new human being. But that's literally what's happening. You're growing, physically growing. But you don't see it. But what is just as well happening is you're mentally growing. The mental fortitude you begin to develop and how that will translate when something like a freaking pandemic comes up. <laughs> and it's super easy to say, oh my God, what is happening? Where do I get my food? How do I pay my bills? This is crazy. This is unfair. Oh my God, I hate masks, whatever. Instead of that whole negative kind of fixed mindset, super negative place, if you have got accustomed to challenging yourself daily, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and, and constantly moving that needle and trying to chase excellence in your own health and wellness, when things like this pop up, you're like, okay, this is good. I'm excited because now I get to really put, put forth. I get to show all the hard work I've been putting in. I get to show that I'm disciplined and I can stick to my, my protocol or my needs, even though the world is uncertain and times are changing. I think that's, that's all that it comes down to. Just yeah, mindset. And, I think, and I think that's what I was really uh, drilling down to was, was the fact that one, there's not a, a prescription. There's not one right way or prescribed way of doing it. And, and like you said, um, there are lots of examples out there, including on your, you know, on your social media uh, platforms where people can, if they're looking for exercises, if they're looking for places to begin um, that, that they can do that. And, and I think the other nugget that I, that I wanted, that I think you distilled it down to that I was, that I was hoping we'd get at is, is just, just begin, you know, just, just get into, just start. And then you can, you know, uh, learn, you know, what to do better or how to do it better, what to right. do, what not to do, add on exercises or activities, but, but just start somewhere. Exactly. And that, you know, almost bringing it, almost bringing it full circle here. I don't know if this is by design or not, but um, I, yeah, I fa- I struggle with this stuff to this day. I am no superhuman. I'm no, I'm not someone special who doesn't have problems with feeling motivated to go work out. No, it's very real. And you know what I say when I need to go work out and what will always trigger it is, Hey, it's just an arm. And if I say that it happens. So, so maybe I hope the, the word just really resonates with listeners or readers so that they maybe create, find, this is what I always encourage when I'm speaking, you know, find your, it's just an arm. For me, that's the word. For me, that's the phrase that triggers, triggers this mindset of, I have to, I have to take action. I got to go do something. It triggers it. Find that for you, for whoever, that would be my biggest piece of advice. And now there is one kind of, uh, one trick, one life hack I could give you to, to, to do that. And that is the five second rule. And I'm not talking about the five second rule when food's on the ground, but <laughs> there's this incredible lady that I love. Her name's Mel Robbins. And she wrote a book called the five second rule. Um, and the five second rule is this idea of counting down from five, no matter what 
is in front of you. You need to get something done. You need to do something. Maybe you just woke up. Maybe your alarm is going off and you're laying in bed and you are about to hit the snooze button. Don't. And I know that's hard to do. It's, you don't just, you can't just accept someone saying, Hey, don't hit the snooze button. And you won't. No, no, no. But instead do this. As soon as you're about to hit it, count down from five to one, say five, four, three, two, one, and either open your eyes and sit up or pull the covers off your bed. Or if you're on the couch watching TV, stand up from the TV, do something. There is a scientific proven study that is shown and proven that if you count back backwards, don't count one to five, but five to one, you create this timeline for your brain to switch. Just like I was talking about when you're talking about switching from, you know, the mindset, the, the change in the mindset when I say it's just an arm, it switch, switches to this gratitude and abundance perspective. When you count down five, four, three, two, one, you switch your brain from this sort of analytical uh, fight or flight perspective to this boom, take action, move, and let's, let's do something. So uh, I would encourage anyone who's struggling with the motivation, feeling like yeah, the energy or whatever, just do that. Count backwards from five. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, I have to get up and get up. Just get up and start walking. Get up and start rolling. If you're in the chair, whatever it is, just move. That's great. That's great advice. I know you mentioned your um, social media platform. So if folks want to connect with you, learn more about uh, your work at A2A, ATA or wherever, uh, what, yeah. go, ahead and go ahead and go through those real quick. Yeah, absolutely. So for the Academy, Adaptive Training Academy, um, we are adaptivetrainingacademy.com. On Instagram, which is where we are most active, Instagram and Facebook, we, we don't really do the Twitter thing, but sometimes. But Instagram's great. We put a lot of videos up on there, and we put a lot of stuff on our stories showing what other uh, people are doing in the community. And that is at Adaptive Training. My personal Instagram um, is at Aldridge Logan. And then our media Instagram. So just like just cool things. If you're, if you're, if you're adaptive and you're doing anything or you see anything in the world that you want to be highlighted and shared with the community and, and with the world, um, that is at all things adaptive. So all things adaptive is ATA's uh, media company that just captures, tells stories and sells products. That's where the one-arm jump rope I invented and the one-arm rowing handle and the one-arm deadlift strap and uh, some seated athlete tools, mm -hmm. uh, jump ropes for seated athletes. All that stuff can be found on our website, allthingsadaptive.com. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing those. And I hope folks will check them out. There's lots of great resources and information for folks that want to yeah, uh, just get involved and get moving. So uh, absolutely. thanks for being my guest today. Great conversation. Sean, thank you so much. It was truly an honor and I'm sorry for taking up so much of your time.